News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. Let's bring in Porrick Fogarty, campaign officer with the Irish Wildlife Trust. Uh, Porrick, what do you make of the, the Taoiseach's comments that, uh, look, we're going to accelerate those projects under and, and make changes to the planning legislation? Do you Have you concerns about that? Yeah, good morning, and uh, and I was listening to your discussion there, and the first thing to say is that we would very much agree that uh, we have to accelerate the shift to renewable energy. I mean, climate change is the greatest threat we face, uh, and it's absolutely essential that we, we decarbonise our electricity. However, uh, we do have concerns. Uh, principally, it's uh, it's around the impact of biodiversity. Uh, the Dáil has declared a climate and a biodiversity crisis. Uh, the, the biodiversity crisis isn't any uh, of less importance and the climate crisis, the two of them go hand in hand. And so we have serious concerns about how uh, wind energy is going to be rolled out and the potential impacts that's going to have on biodiversity, in particular considering that we have no marine protected areas and we don't even have any um, site of marine protected area legislation. Okay. Spell it out for us, Porik, when you talk about biodiversity, what are you talking about here? What's the danger from wind farms? Uh, yes, yeah, so like biodiversity in the ocean has been under collapse for a very long time. We've completely mismanaged the sea. That's principally to do with fishing, of course. It's not to do necessarily with the infrastructure. Uh, but we know from the information we have, and I'd caveat that with saying that we don't have a huge amount of information, but uh, wind turbines do impact on seabirds. Uh, so where you put them is going to be very important. We also worry that the uh, wind turbines may impact on the sea floor. So particularly putting them on sandbanks, there's some evidence to say that that, that could shift the pattern of sand under the sea and increase erosion of the coast. Uh, and also we'd be worried about uh, whales and dolphins uh, who are very sensitive to noise in the marine environment. And we just don't know what kind of noise is going to come out of these turbines uh, in the sea or what well, impact they're going to have. And this is, could be a very ignorant question. Will whales and dolphins not just avoid them if they don't like the sound of the noise? Well, I mean, uh, the whales and dolphins go where their food is. Uh, if their food doesn't move and there's a turbine in the way and they can't get into it, uh, where are they going to go? And uh, We have to remember that uh, whale and dolphin populations, whale populations in particular, are a fraction of what they were uh, in historical times. They're still in recovery from being uh, nearly wiped out completely from uh, whaling uh, in, the, in the early part of the 20th century. So, I mean, it's not a case that uh, wildlife can just go somewhere else. Uh, we've already done so much damage we have to be uh, basically what we're saying is we have to be considering these things uh, in parallel and that's just not what has happened the national marine planning framework went through last year with no mention of uh, or well, no, no mapping of marine protected areas and that was something we were highlighting uh, with the department for the last number of years but they went ahead with it anyway so what would you like to see happening i mean you're not saying no to wind farms but are you saying there needs to be a, a long process of, of planning to, to make sure they're in the right place and they're not damaging biodiversity? Well, I mean, we don't want it to be a long process. I mean, we think it absolutely has to happen and it has to happen quickly, but uh, we have not resourced the agencies, uh, such as, say, the National Parks and Wildlife Service, which has, you know, maybe two or three people working on the marine area, which is ten times larger than our land area in Ireland. Um, we haven't resourced on board Planola. We haven't resourced the local authorities, for instance, to deal with uh, biodiversity issues. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I would push back 
pushback strongly against the idea that it's uh, nimbyists or objectors who are holding up the system. Basically, it's our lack of investment uh, in a modern planning system that is holding up the system. And remember, and you, we, you will end up with turbines for a long, long time. And once the damage is done, it'll be very hard to undo it. OK, reasonable point. Finally, could you see the Irish Wildlife Trust objecting in the future when, when uh, we are going to see a plethora of these uh, wind farms coming to planning uh, stages very shortly. Could you see the Irish Wildlife Trust objecting to some of those? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we have objected to wind farms on land as well, and we have very bitter experience of wind farms on land being put in the wrong places, resulting in uh, peat slides and all kinds of pollution issues. So I think we will. We don't like objecting. We don't want to do it. But of course, we'll do it because our remit is to highlight the biodiversity crisis and to stand up for wildlife in Ireland. OK, Porik Fogarty, Campaign Officer with the Irish Wildlife Trust. Thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast. Uh, the other point that uh, the Taoiseach will be making today is saying that Ireland will offer loss and damage payments to poor countries suffering climate catastrophes. That's in that announcement that he's going to make to COP27 later today. Uh, the money will come out of climate contributions, so will not amount to extra funding. But Taoiseach Michael Martin said labelling it loss and damage would send an important message. But are developed countries being hypocritical when it comes to change? Uh, we're joined now by Vitya uh, Rama Shadran, a director for energy and development at the Breakthrough, Break, sorry, the Breakthrough Institute in California. Um, Vitya, are um, are developing countries, developed countries, I should say, being hypocritical when it comes to climate change? Um, Shane, you know, to answer your question, yes, I do believe that uh, rich countries generally are quite hypocritical about the issue of climate change when it comes to poor countries. Um, you know, first of all, uh, we do not restrict our energy use um, in rich countries. We are doubling down on oil and coal and gas um, in order to meet our energy needs in the name of energy security. Uh, But we do impose restrictions on poor countries when it comes to the financing of fossil fuels. So that's one area where we're hypocritical. And then secondly, you know, the issue you mentioned uh, around climate financing, uh, we have made rich countries have made promises um, that they have not kept. In 2009, $100 billion was promised for climate adaptation and mitigation that is largely not materialized. So I think, uh, you know, poor countries are losing trust in this whole process. When I have this debate with people, uh, the, the argument inevitably thrown back at me is, well, you know, we can do this, but really we're a drop in the ocean. And when you look at what's happening in China, where they're opening up a new uh, coal uh, power plant every week, Sure, that's where the real issue lies. There's very little we can do. So I think that, you know, there's no question that the larger um, countries, emerging markets are um, are, are uh, significant emitters of carbon and are, and are working towards lowering that. I think China is making significant efforts to, um, uh, particularly in solar. Uh, but it is also the case that high-income countries are large emitters, continue to be large emitters. Um, I like to remind people that Germany's coal mines, um, the emissions from those mines are greater than Pakistan, Laos, Uzbekistan and Bangladesh combined. Um, So it's not the case that we're just a drop in the ocean. We are consuming a lot more energy and emitting a lot more carbon 
than most poor countries in the world. And that's something that we need to be reminded of periodically, I think. Is there a danger with the, with COP27 that it, it's greenwashing, that we're all, um, in, particularly in the West, uh, going to pat ourselves on the back when a deal is done, but really this is, is just greenwashing? It's a very important question. I am worried that that is, in fact, the case. If the money is not additional or not new, uh, then promises that are made will probably not really amount to much at all. Um, and I'm also worried that, uh, you know, any commitments to loss and damage uh, to reparations, for example, might not be um, actually kept. Uh, so, it, you know, we, we do run the risk of greenwashing. I think we run the risk of losing the trust uh, of poor countries when uh, when we go to to um, conferences like COP and and make promises that we don't keep. Uh, climate adaptation finance is going to be really critical for very poor countries um, that are you know dealing with floods and and storms and hurricanes and so on. And if we are not able to muster new financing, or we um, you know we redirect it from school lunch programs or from maternal health care, that's not helping anyone, and that that I think could be really detrimental in the long run. Vijaya Ram Chandran, uh, Director for Energy and Development at the Breakthrough Institute in California. Thanking, uh, thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman in association with Air. Weekday mornings at seven on News Talk.